Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right. Happy Friday, everybody. We have pushed this back all the way to the end of the week. Can't wait to have these questions. Your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly about anything you have. The Bucks, the Rays, the Lightning, you name it. I'm here for you. Let's get started, Steve Versnick. All right. We'll start with Jeff, who says, okay, there's clearly smoke with the Tom Brady Miami thing. It's to the point that I'm willing to say that if Tom Brady plays next year, he will do so in Miami. Miami clearly has their own shoeless Joe Jackson scenario with the roster they are building. Do you agree with my assessment? Um, I'll say this. If he plays next year, I don't think it'll be here. And I, I'm still not entirely sure that he will play. I do know that he's not going to add years to his contract with Tampa. And in some ways, and Albert Breer addressed this, I was listening to the Dan Patrick show. Dan and the Danettes are not in, but uh, they, he spoke to one of the the, um, the hosts this week, and he was saying how he didn't really believe Brady planned really was going to retire. That that this was sort of you know a trial and error, trial balloon thing, and um, and that the Bucks kind of played it the right way, especially at the combine with Jason Light saying we leave the light on, and Bruce Arians saying we won't trade him unless it's for five number one picks. That kind of called his bluff. Um, I do think there is more than a little bit of smoke with the Miami situation. I don't know for sure if he planned on playing for the Dolphins because, again, the Bucks held his rights. And I do know that uh, there seems to have been some discussion about a uh, possible ownership stake with Stephen Ross. Of course, we know um, that Brian Flores sued not just the Dolphins but the NFL uh, the same day, by the way, that Tom Brady announced his retirement. Whatever thing that was going on in Tom Brady's mind or opportunity that he perceived uh, with the Dolphins, whatever that was, for however brief that it was or tangible, um, didn't come to fruition. It fell apart. And and we can all speculate on why Mike Florio has said it's because of the Flores lawsuit. Um, the plan was to bring in Sean Payton. They did ask for permission to interview Sean Payton the Saints turned him down. Peyton and you know Brady have the same agent, uh, Donald Yee. We've been through this, okay? Um, but if Tom plays, it seems like it's going to be with the Dolphins. Now, you know, there was also a big push, like maybe the 49ers. You know, that makes sense because that was his hometown team. I'm of the belief that the 49ers would have done it this year. I do. I think they may have taken a flyer because Trey Lance is an unproven commodity. They have a Super Bowl team or one that made it to the championship again. Jimmy Garoppolo is on his way out. They could have easily said, you know what, for one year, we're going to give this to Brady. Uh, for the Bucks, that was that was a non-starter if that conversation happened, and I think it might have. But if, if it did happen, the Bucks were not trading Tom Brady, and I think everybody got that message loud and clear throughout the league, including Tom. So I don't think he goes back to San Francisco or goes to San Francisco, even though it's his hometown. I, I, there's a part of me that 
that and they play the 49ers out there this year. There's a part of me that Brady feels like you turned me down, not just when you didn't draft me, but also when I was a free agent before. I'm not going to give you a chance to say no to me again, even though clearly the, the 49ers would have made, made it clear what their intentions are by then. So I think Miami makes sense. He's building his forever home there. It's on the East Coast. He can certainly uh, get to his, his oldest son in New York who lives with his um, mo- mother, Bridget Moynihan. Um, but, you know, Brady also said something interesting the other day to ESPN. He goes, look, I, I know I'm at the end of my career. You know, and is at the end really at the end or is it sort of towards the end? Like, is he going past 45? You know, don't don't jump to conclusions about next season with guys his age um, that have yet to play this season. Because remember now, it's it's 17 games or eight, you know, it's going to soon to be 18, but it's 17 games of the regular season plus the playoffs, which could be four or three if you get a bye. Um, we haven't made it to training camp yet. I mean, it's hard to predict how a guy's going to feel, much less play. And I know Brady says his body feels good and he thinks he can do it, and he, and he probably will and can, um, but for how long? And so I don't know that he's going to play. I think if he plays, though, um, depending on what happens with Tua, you know, this is the other thing. they got a new head coach. They're all in. I, I don't know that Tua is salvageable, and I don't know that you would keep Tom Brady out of there uh, for him. So that all makes sense to me. They've got, like I said, what does the new head coach want to do? What does the GM want to do? I mean, they're building a hell of a team down there. They really are. With Tyreek Hill and, you know, if Tom Brady's playing the GM in Miami and in Tampa, then he should definitely win GM of the year. Because if he's picking his future team or having some influence on where they sign in Miami, then good good on him. But that will be a good football team for somebody at quarterback if Tua doesn't make it this year. And... Unfortunately for Tom, if he planned to play for Sean Payton, unless they this guy's one and done with the Dolphins, it probably won't be in Miami. But uh, if he plays, I don't think it's in Tampa. And if, if you ask me where I think he'll play, I would say the Dolphins. All right, Joe tweeted us. Rick, with Todd Bowles being the new head coach now, does that increase the chances of Kyle Trask being quarterback number two behind Tom so that he can actually develop? I know Bruce is obsessed with Blaine Gabbert for some reason. Well, whatever Bruce Arians thinks or thought of Blaine Gabbert doesn't matter as much as what Tom Brady thinks about Blaine Gabbert. And the fact of the matter is, um, you know, until Tom decided to play and to play back with Tampa Bay, uh, you know, the plan was for Gabbert and Trask to battle it out for the starting job. And, of course, the loser then would become number two. Now, I can tell you that Arians believed that with all his heart, that Gabbert would win that job. Um, but he was willing to see what kind of competition it would be. That's what, that's what football is. You know, I look at Mac Jones and I, and I look at Kyle Trask and, and I see two guys, Mac has a better arm perhaps, but I see two guys with similar college careers and Trask went toe to toe with him in Alabama. Um, you know, when he had a couple of first round targets at the university of Florida, his final year. So I think Trask could do some of those things. I think the problem is with Brady, he wants Blaine Gabbard on his side. Um, And that job as the number two is different than the job as the number three. You know, Brady's going to take some days off during the season at practice. 
somebody has to be prepared to go in and play at the same level and more than that, prepare the defense that week and run the offense sharply so that those guys know what they're doing on the days that Brady's not playing. And that's probably going to be Gabbert because Gabbert knows this offense inside and out. He's been in it now uh, longer than anybody in that quarterback room. It's, it's a tough deal for Kyle Trask. And I don't think any football coach, and I believe this truly, I don't think any football coach is going to go into training camp and say, well, you know what, guys, we've already made our decisions. Of course, Brady is the starter. Kyle or, or uh, Blaine, you're number two. And Kyle, you'll just you'll just be inactive all season. Put on the red shirt again. You, you know your role. You have to you have to challenge guys. You can't just say, hey, it's Blaine's, and then Blaine goes out there and practice and stinks it up every week. If Kyle Trask is ready to play, and he somehow demonstrates that to the coaching staff and to Tom Brady, he'll be the number two. I don't think it has anything to do with whether Arians is the coach or not. Um, I think that's just football. But I do know that Arians, who is still in the front office, has a hell of a lot of confidence in Gabbard. And you go from 45 to like 34 to like 24 or whatever it is, they're all about 10 10 years apart or whatever. Um, It's kind of an interesting mix. But who is Brady comfortable with? You know, this came up years ago with Peyton Manning. I remember Sean King played well and actually played better than Jim Sorge one year with the Colts. And Tony Dungy drafted Sean King. And he had to bring Sean King in and say, hey, man, you know, you outplayed the other guy, but Peyton really feels comfortable with Jim Sorge, and we're going to go with him. That's kind of what you have here, right? You have an iconic quarterback um, who's going to select. He's going to work with everybody in that room, but he's going to select who he wants in the number two position to help him. Each guy is assigned a job, and and – I think he trusts Gabbert because of his experiences and particularly in this offense. So I, I don't think you ever just discount competition and say, well, there's no way Kyle Trask can be the number two. It's not the plan. <laughs> I mean, he's going to have to do some stuff to, uh, you know, to win that job and to win over guys like Brady and, and Todd Bowles. But Bowles is absolutely going to stand up in front of those players and say, look, You'd control your own fate here. If you go out and play better than the other guy, we're going to play the best players. And so if Kyle Trask is better than Blaine Gabbert, and, and he's going to be number two, and Brady will have to accept it and, and will probably be comfortable with it if he plays that well. But I think realistically you're talking about one more season, one more year with Tom Brady, and we saw the last two years who Tom Brady wanted as his backup, and I don't think it's going to be any different. All right, Ellis tweeted. Says I know you give Jason Light the credit he deserves, but does the rest of the league adequately acknowledge how great his tenure as GM has been? He literally built the team that attracted Tom Brady and won a Super Bowl in Tampa, of all places. I mean, I I think Jason Light's pretty well regarded. He's got a lot of friends in the league. Um, right now, he has, I think he's one of the longest tenured GMs in the National Football League. He's been here since Lovey Smith walked in the door in 2014. So. That's a long run for a general manager. It really is, particularly one that didn't make the playoffs for six years. You know, that's the remarkable ride of Jason Light. Um, and, and listen, Jason is very comfortable telling you what mistakes he made in the beginning, how he corrected them. And, yes, he should and, and, and absolutely takes credit for the talent that is now assembled on this team that attracted Tom Brady. I think Bruce Arians, in his own way, attracted Tom Brady because Arians had 
had quarterbacks like Roethlisberger and Manning and, you know, uh, for all the perceived souring of their relationship that's out there, uh, you know, I don't think Tom Brady plays for just anybody without consulting other people that had been under Arians. So, you know, has Jason Light always gotten the draft right? Heck no. You know, Roberto Aguayo, uh, you know, there, there's a ton of names. Even O.J. Howard, right? Like there's a ton of, 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 of picks. But I think I would say this, no matter who you're talking about or what team, if you're talking about the first round, it's about a 50% bus rate, you know? Like the guy either makes it or he doesn't. It's like there's no, there's no guarantees in football. And, and I think Jason has learned from his, his mistakes he lost John Robinson to the Titans, who's done an unbelievable job. He gets John Spitek, who has done an unbelievable job. Uh, Mike Greenberg, tremendous cap guy. Um, uh, you know, you've got Mike Beal, the college scouting director. I mean, it's a really, really good team over there. Really good. And so Jason now lets those guys do their jobs, and he manages, general manages, the entire football organization and yeah, he'll make the final call when it comes to the draft, but the board is already set. So I just think he he's learned through his mistakes because he's been allowed to make them. You know, most guys would have been fired, quite frankly. Most guys don't get three, much less four, much less five years without making the postseason, right? But, you know, he, he was here when Lovey Smith drafted Jameis Winston. He was here when they fired Lovey Smith and tried to make, Jameis have continuity with Dirk Cutter. Um, he was here when he personally brought in Bruce Arians out of retirement for one more chance of saving Jameis Winston, and it didn't work. And certainly he built the team that attracted Tom Brady. So he gets credit for all of that. And let's be honest. I mean, Bill Belichick had Tom didn't do much without Tom Brady in his career either. And I still think Bill Belichick's one of the greatest coaches of all time, if not the greatest coach of all time. But how much did he benefit from from Brady? And so, you know, should you apologize? I never understood why, you know, you have to now apologize for having the best quarterback in the league at age 43, 44, now 45 years old, still getting it done. Um, it's remarkable. And... You know, you have to have talent. I mean, this is the thing. Like, you know, and, and maybe Brady influenced them bringing in talent, but whether it was Leonard Fournette or Antonio Brown, whoever they thought they needed and got, they put a Lombardi trophy in there. So that's that's winning, babe, you know? And and I think most people in the business respect guys that win championships. And he has one to his resume, and if he wins another one, there ain't too many GMs walking around with two Super Bowls. So um, I, I think he's... If he hasn't gotten it, there's a reason because it, it didn't go well in the beginning. Um, but now he's got it figured out. He's benefiting from Brady. And we'll see what the future looks like without him. But, yeah, man, let the good times roll. I mean, Jason Light right now, you know, is uh, should should take a lot of credit and a lot of bows for for what they put together. All right, Brian tweeted us. He said, would it be beneficial for the Buccaneers to trade back in the first round if they can get more picks in this draft to maximize this season? It would. And and Jason Light has made, I think, uh, 13 trades over his tenure here. Nine of them have been forward, and four of them have been back. The most uh, 
I guess the most memorable one for him anyway was trading back from 7 to 12 to take Vita Vea. And he did that in the first round. Now, you know, they're picking 27th. Um, Light said the other day he don't know that there's 30 legit first-round players in this draft. He said the strength of the draft is in the, the middle rounds. And they could use some more picks there. Um, so it's always beneficial to to you know to gather picks in a draft where once you get past 30 31 32 it's sort of beauties in the eye of the beholder there's a whole bunch of guys um that can be you know anywhere from the second to the fifth round and you'd be really really happy with and so i I think it would benefit them if they could do it but you don't do it if the player that, that that's on the board you're staring at you really like and what usually happens is everybody talks about trading back and like I said, Jason's done it four times, not in the first round four times, but he's done it. I think it's really hard if there's a player that you like that's staring you in the face to do it. And even when he moved back from 7 to 12, they were really rolling the dice and rooting hard that Vita Vea would still be there. And when he was, there was a huge yelp you know, in the draft room because they were sweating bullets. Oh, by the way, the Bills who traded up to 7 used that pick for Josh Allen, uh, if you've heard of him, so... They did okay, but the Bucks picked up a couple of number twos in that draft. Um, that also helped them. So always great to trade back. Always a lot of talk about it. You won't know until you're on the board uh, who's coming up and what player they want and what they're willing to part because based on how far they're moving uh, or how far you have to move back, will your guy still be there? Do you have two or three guys that are there if you're only moving two or three spots? But if you're moving five spots, do you really have five players you'd be comfortable with? So all these are questions that they they will have set up on the board. And like Jason said, 95% of the work is done, you know, um, before they get to draft day or 98%, he said. So they'll have a plan. And, you know, I think in this draft, because it's it's more um, more quantity necessarily than than high elite quality in the first round, I think it would really benefit them to uh, to try to do that. But there's a caveat as well. This football team is not buying green bananas. And what I mean by that is everybody they pick this year needs to have a big contribution. They're in it to win it. It is the last year with Tom Brady, as far as anybody knows. It's kind of bonus time for them. So you won't be drafting projects. You, or, you know, you, you're looking for prospects, not projects. And I think that's the biggest difference with Brady back. All right, we'll switch topics to the lightning now. And TB Ray 13 had tweeted us. He says, hey, guys, speaking about Andre Vasilevsky on Wednesday's podcast, do you think that his poor performance is due to him and his other Russian teammates having their mind on the situation and family affected by war and economic difficulties in Russia? Huh. I, it's something I haven't considered. Um, first of all, I think you'd have to, you'd have to describe what difficulties are because I, I don't know with respect to Vasi. Like I see, I see a team not playing very well around him, mm-hmm. primarily, and, and I think that has a lot to do with how the goaltender ultimately how many goals he gives up and how he looks. Did he has he played as well as he did this time last year? No, um, just very hard to get inside somebody's head and say, hey, how much is a conflict uh, involving your home country? Uh, and we don't know what, if anything. Uh, people close to him are going through in in that country. Um, We see, you know, every night 
on the news and social media, just awful pictures of a, of a war in Ukraine. And um, I don't think the media is is asking those guys about it. I don't, you know, I, I don't know that them being in the United States are not insulated from the news, obviously. But do you take that onto the ice? Can you compartmentalize? I think as a, as a professional athlete, you sort of learn to compartmentalize those things you can control and mm-hmm. forget about the things you can't. And he's a, he's a professional. Um, you know, I, I, I think, I think we're grasping at straws a little bit. I wouldn't totally discount it. It's just frankly something I'm not thought of. I think it's um, something that look, if, if the guys are mentally tired and, and some, some of what we think is the mental tiredness, if family and friends back home are affected by this, and, and we don't know their situations, whether it's Andre Vasilevsky or Mikhail Sergachev or Nikita Kucherov on the Lightning and other Russian players throughout the league, we don't know how much it could be weighing. I mean, if they've got friends or family that are in harm's way over there, it might be a little bit, you know, and not that that's why play is the way it is or that Mikhail Sergachev made two bad turnovers on on Tuesday night. You know, it's not to say that led directly to that, but, you know, these players are human and and they have lives and family and friends. And when things go bad or wrong for people in your life, it does affect the way you do things a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think we'll I don't think we'll know for some time if if yeah. there's any effect or impact on some of these players. And we just don't know their cir- situations and circumstances. Right, exactly. And um, But it's a, it's, a, it's an interesting point and one that I hadn't thought of. Um, there is a lot going on, uh, to say the very least, um, in their in their countries, and we don't know what their families are exposed to. And, you know, what media they're exposed to over here, you know, what, what, mm-hmm. what their feelings are and whether they even watch it. I mean, I, I would advise them probably not to do so. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's it's not necessarily my call. But I mean, I think sometimes as a professional athlete, you know, especially when you get this time of year, you might want to turn off your cell phone and your television, but um, and be hyper focused. So we'll see. But um, it's a great question, and um, my answer is I have no clue. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> there you go. You stumped me. You stumped the band. All right, Robert tweeted. He said, "Watching the Lightning as much as possible from Dallas here." It seems like Mikhail Sergachev is very sloppy with the puck and becoming more and more of a liability. What are the alternatives there? Steve, I don't disagree with that. I don't know what's up with Sergi. Uh, he, he has become a turnover machine of late. Um, certainly the last game was uh, maybe maybe his worst in that category. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not it, – it's not limited to just him. You know no. what I mean? And, and they've played well in spurts like they had a great first period – they just got kind of out of, as Cooper said, like, I don't know why we stopped. We, we were controlling the game, and then all of a sudden that wasn't good enough. I think sometimes guys try to do too much and and fall into that trap. But Sergeyev, I mean, he has to answer for himself. And if they don't, if he, if he doesn't stop, they're going to have to do something. You know, they can't mm-hmm. play him. I mean, you can't, you can't have a liability like that in the postseason. But you know he can play well. That's the thing about coaching that's so confounding is, like, when you see – some guy do it once. The secret of coaching is, and why can't we make him play like that all the time? Mm-hmm. You know, like we know he has that greatness in him. How do we get him to be more consistent? And it's not like they're preaching, hey, let's not turn the puck over. Let's not hang our goaltender out to drive. Let's avoid those odd man rushes. But my goodness, it's just, it's become, 
really a problem for them. Well, we talked about this a couple of days ago on the podcast, and Mikel's had some of these spurts in his career where it, it seems like there's been lots of turnovers, and it's it, Kucherov has them, and there's others. He's such a skilled defenseman, particularly with the puck at that blue line. He can, he can, you know, how many times have you seen him make that move he makes and, and all of a sudden the defender is going one way and he's past you the other way? Mm-hmm. He does it a lot. Mm-hmm. And he's very good at it. When it yep. goes bad and you do it at the wrong time, you're the last man back at the blue line and you try that. or that That's when it costs you. It, it, he's going to have turnovers. He's, he's so skilled with the puck. Kucherov has turnovers. He's so skilled with the puck and is trying passes that others don't see. Sometimes they get through. Sometimes they get picked off. But it's understanding when to make that high-risk play and when not to. And on, on particularly on Tuesday night, Sergachev, two bad decisions. When he's the last man back and he's, he's you know, forcing the turnover, you know, getting forced into a turnover, when you just got to get the puck in. And, and, and it's, it's, mental, it's a mental mistake more than anything. Yeah. It, it's it's you're in the flow of the game and you know maybe seven times out of ten he's getting by that guy but when you're the last man back and you're in a tight game like that particularly in the playoffs you got to make the smart play instead you know and it's it, it it's that that's purely a mental mistake it's discipline it's mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. it's you know the stakes become higher and you can't take chances you have to be a lot more a lot more conservative and sort of like mm-hmm. they talk about process right like make yes. the right play and do it and be consistent and do it all the time and they've kind of lost their way you know that way this year and and i, I i'm sure and cooper says it's very frustrating cuz you know guys have done it the right way and they've reaped the benefits of it they've won two stanley cups why can't the same guys play that way again and, I, and that's about as critical as you'll ever hear Cooper be of a player. That's true. In a press conference. I mean, that that shows you his frustration level right now. Right. How this right. team is playing and, and how inconsistent they are. It's not that they're playing badly all the time. They're not. They're just very inconsistent. I mean, the first period Tuesday night, they played tremendously. The last 30 minutes against Winnipeg on Saturday before that. Phenomenal. 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 Mm-hmm. But other parts of the game weren't, and it, it's they're just they're very inconsistent right now. Yeah, and yeah. and to me that's more mental. And whether it's they're bored, or they know they're in and they're just not getting up for it, or they're just truly mentally fatigued. I, I think we'll find out as the play you know the playoffs come. Now we're taping this before Thursday night's game against the Leafs, yeah. so we don't know. I mean, maybe they come out and play a tremendous sixty minute game and dominate the Leafs. And then everything's right in the world again. We don't know that yet because we're taping it earlier. But well, I, I I think you fall into bad habits too, though. Mm-hmm. You know, like, this is the danger of what the way they're playing now. Uh, everybody, you know, seasons have momentum, um, but we've seen the Lightning stumble to the end and then win a Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. You know, like they've had these stretches at the end of a season where they really weren't playing that well, and then all of a sudden the playoffs start and they win sixteen games and they're they're hoisting the cup. So. But I think that the, the, the danger is that you, you get bad habits. And if you play this way enough, you're going to play that way. And, and there's not going to be coming back. You're not going to come back on – there's not going to be a Winnipeg where you're down 4-2 to two and then you win, you know, going, you score the next five goals. That's not going to happen in the postseason. So if you've got those bad habits, you better get rid of them um, because you, don't, you can't afford the mental lapse in the postseason. You know, so it's it, it is. It, maybe they're losing interest. Maybe they're they're playing out the string. 
um, realizing they can't really improve their position that much one way or the other. Who knows? It's human nature. And they're also the most tired team in the NHL. They've won two Stanley Cups. They've had the longest season two years in a row, you know? Um, well, and, and I can and, make a case in the NHL. The Lightning have played the most hockey the last two-plus seasons. For sure. The two teams that have played the next most hockey the last two seasons are the Vegas Golden Knights, who right. very well missed the playoffs, Miss despite it. that loaded mm-hmm. roster, and the New York Islanders, who underachieved drastically this year. Both those teams made the Final Four the last two seasons, in the bubble and then last season with the shortened season and division. There you go. There you go. The three teams that played the most hockey over the last two and a half, three years have been inconsistent. Mm-hmm and struggled at points in their season. Now, the Lightning yeah. have done a better job than Vegas and, and, and the Islanders because, obviously, the Lightning are in the playoffs, and they've clinched their yeah. spot. And you know, But would you say they've lived up to expectations for the regular season this year? They've played no. pretty well at spurts at times, and other times they haven't. Um, but the three teams with the most hockey during a pandemic and a bubble and a shortened season sprint to the end – and short off seasons are, are struggling this season. The, the three teams that played the most. So is that mm. an impact on it? How much? I would say that some of the mental fatigue more than anything. Yep. Yep. And they got to find a way to get recharged mm-hmm. and, and they still got games to do it. And they got, you know, it's good too. I think they have some games against teams that they would see in the postseason coming up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, Florida, as we do this podcast, have won 10 in a row. You know what I'm saying? 11 like, in a row as we do this. Or 11 now. Yeah. yeah, it's 11. You're right. So I mean, there's some buzz saws out there, and they're gonna they're gonna hit a couple of them, and there's gonna be there's gonna be a little bit of maybe Florida's peaking too soon. Well, Dallas haven't started yet. They may have, and but there'll also be a little feeling out. Yeah, you know, like like this will be win or lose, it's not gonna matter because it's not the postseason. But there'll be a little bit of hey, let's let's see how they respond to this. Let's poke the bear here. Let's you know let let's set our tone there. Um, these are going to be interesting games to see if they do lock in and, um, you know, the better opponents, uh, that they're going to see in a couple of weeks and they may want to may make a statement again, none of it matters because the only thing that matters is what happens in, in the playoffs. But I I'm interested to see how they respond. You know, that's mm-hmm. as a, as a fan, as a coach, like you just want to see, okay, there's your challenge. Go respond to it. Like, you know, the other night it was Detroit. You, you should handle Detroit. You always handle Detroit. Well, they they did for a, for a while. They dominated him in the first period. Then they played a loose second period. They tie it up 3-3, and then they give it away. It's like, yeah, you really didn't respond to this challenge. Like, the challenge was don't look ahead, uh, you know, build on last week, and, and they didn't do it. And that's what's disappointing is they're just not responding right. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. All right, Brian tweeted us. Can the Lightning season be a success without winning the Stanley Cup again? Well, you hate to say no, but I mean, <laughs> they're they're going for history, right? I mean, listen, it's it's been what forty years 
How many years since somebody 1983, won three in a row? when the Islanders won their fourth in a row. I mean, that's a long time ago, folks. Even for someone like me to remember 1983, and 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 I think and in the salary cap era, it's never been done. It's never been done, right? So, would you is, is anything short of that a success? No, but, but I don't think it's a failure. I don't think it's a failure either. Yeah, I was going to say it's like if they if you told me. They're going to reach the Eastern Conference Finals, but not make it. Or you told me they made it to a Stanley Cup and lost. I mean, that's a three-year run that's unbeknownst to any team in the last 30, 40 years. Like, you got to give them credit. You can't just dismiss the fact that they have won two in a row. Mm-hmm. And whatever they do from here on out is sort of gravy. But would it be a disappointment? Yeah, only one team is happy at the end of the year. And they're trying to do something that hasn't been done, like you said, in the salary cap era. So... What's this whole season been about? It's been about trying to win three in a row. Can we three-peat? Which is incredible to think about even attempting to do that. But here they are. They're back in the playoffs. They want. They got 100 points again this year. Um, they're going to have as good a look at it as anybody. And they still have some of the best players on the planet. So, I, I, you know, if they don't make it, oh, well, you pat them on the back and say, hey, man, thanks for an unbelievable three-year run. But their goal is to win the cup. I mean, their goal is to build on the two that they have and, and try to make try to make history, right? I mean, I don't know what else they're playing for. Well, and, and don't forget, I mean, the core of this team is all back again next year, too. So, yeah. I mean, you go yeah. to the Eastern Conference Final and say you lose. Right, come it, right like back I said, next year. It, it was this season a success? Probably, you wouldn't call it a success, but it's not a failure. It was not a failure, no. No, you know, and the core is going to be back next year. I mean, Andre Palat's probably going to be gone. I'll say this though: if you get swept in the first round, I don't care who they play, and they've kind of been teetering towards the end of the season here this last month, and you just get swept, you know, in four games, I think I think they they would be disappointed. I think oh. at that point they'd be like, you know what? It's disappointing that we had the same group of guys, we tried to go for three, and we couldn't get out of the first round. And we played badly down the stretch of the regular season. I yeah, think that would, I, I, that would be I agree with that. If you if you lose in the first round in a great seven game series to Toronto, to Florida, or Carolina, or, Toronto, or whoever yeah, yeah. you're whoever you're yeah. facing, yeah, you're going to call that a, a failure. I you know probably not. I, the East is loaded this year. I, the competition in the Eastern Conference is this is going to be the toughest road to get to the Stanley Cup Final that the Lightning have had for sure. For sure, the East the the Eastern Conference is better, although. There's questions in goal for almost every team mm-hmm. and how they'll mm-hmm. do in the playoffs. So, I mean, that helps you, but. Including this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you used to not say that, but now you're like, I don't know. All right, we'll switch to the Rays here, unless it tweeted. It says, Rick, are you concerned about Mike Zanino's one, and t- one for 25 start with 12 Ks? I know the Rays look for other things from their catchers besides offense, like pitch framing, but we have to get something from that position offensively. Anyone in Durham we can call up? I don't know about Durham. Um, am I concerned? Mm, yes, a little bit. My concern would be, and I don't have the answer to this, is there something physical that's bothering him? Mm-hmm. Um, I heard some talk about a shoulder. Like Catching is one of those positions, man. It's just it, – it, the reason why you don't see a lot of catchers hit 30 bombs or bat 300 is because it takes mm-hmm. such a damn toll on you. Day in, day out, wearing the gear, taking the foul balls, mm-hmm. um, the grind of being in that squat position. Um, I, I understand 
just the degree of difficulty, and he is very good defensively, and he does, you know, the the amount of mental stress. Here's the other thing people don't consider, like how much time do these guys have to spend? Think about the staff that they have. Think about the stuff that they have to catch. Think about the different styles of pitching that they have on that in that team, both as starters and in the bullpen. There's a lot of mental uh, mm-hmm. currency being spent. You know what I'm saying? Um, that maybe the last thing you do that day is grab a bat and go up there and try to hit against some guy that's throwing, you know, 97, 98. So appreciate the position that guys like Zanino and uh, Mejia are in. Uh, and then, and then from there, I would just say, look, he's he was he's not going to hit above two hundred something, regardless, right? Well, that was you're looking be my for next power. Thing. My you're next looking thing, for yeah. power, and that's if he starts to hit the ball out of the park, I'm happy. Cause, you know, because last year he had a great season. He was an all star. Yeah, he got some MVP votes. Yep. Do you know what his batting average was last year? Probably barely above two hundred. I would guess two sixteen. Yeah, he's a career two oh one hitter. I mean, yeah. the average part, the one for 25 doesn't bother me. That's a bad start, but, I mean, you yeah. play every day. so You'd like to see some power out of him. And, you, you know, as of now, there's no home runs yeah. as we're taping yeah. this. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, does it concern me a, a little? I mean, like you said, you want to see some power. But, I mean, he's played eight games, okay? So he hadn't homered in eight games. That's not Well, that's and, not and you say, you've said this several times, too. They would be ending spring training like these. Guys, some of these guys need the at bats in spring training. There, mm-hmm. I I believe firmly, Wander Franco as the exclusion, and maybe uh, Margot. I don't know. I think these guys. I think it's tough for them right now because I don't think they had the same number of at bats that they would have seen. And I think they're behind the pitchers a little bit right now. I could be wrong about mm-hmm. that, but I I just think you know, I don't think all of them are geared up as as they Wander is right now. So Craig had tweeted, the Rays pride themselves on defense. Longtime baseball fans know an elite first baseman can save you runs like Loney and Kochman did here. They tried on Freddie Freeman, but I'm sure they could have gotten someone else. Choi is average to above. Why can't the Rays get an elite first baseman? Cost? Well, when you say elite first baseman, we're talking about defense, we're talking about hitting, or do we want a combination of both? Because I think, you know, a lot of your first basemen are are power hitting home run hitting dudes that you can't afford. Um, so if you're talking about, you know, somebody like that, that ilk, then it's probably financial. But in general, I think they've, I think they've done a pretty good job of, of finding defensive. Look, I never knew that G-Man Choi could play as well as he does at first. I think he does a great job. I don't know if the Rays knew that when they got him. I, I don't either. I mean, all of a sudden, the dude's doing splits out there. It's like, whoa, where did this come from? Um, so he's clearly their best first baseman. They're trying to make Ramirez into one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, I don't know that he certainly isn't very good now. Um, I, you know, it, it's one of those positions that you don't notice it until somebody's not really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and but you need you need a bat. If you need a bat, that's you're going to stick a guy over there. They played a lot of first basemen. I remember Brandon Lau playing first base at times. You mm-hmm. know over there. And so it, it seems to be right now where the Rays try to mix and match their lineups. And, and, and if you're going to rest a guy or, or, you know, mm-hmm. you need a left-handed or right-handed lineup, you might, you might try to just sacrifice a little bit of defense for that bat. 
Um, but they're not going to go the Casey Kosman route. You know, they're not they're not going to go find me the best defensive player uh, at first and let's ride him. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't see that. You know, I think too. I mean, one, you don't want to take Troy's bat out of the lineup right now. No, he's hot. My God. But but the other thing is, they start on defense up the middle. Mm-hmm. Catcher, mm-hmm. second, short, center fielder. Mm-hmm. Make sure yep. those are elite. Yep. Yep. And then work out from there. I mean, you know, you're playing Yandy Diaz at third base. He's okay there. Yeah, he's not great. He's not elite. I mean, and one of know, the reasons why they look bad is his throws. His well, throws over there yeah. in the dirt a lot. You know, I think yeah. Choi is at least average at first base, and he's yeah. surprised me. I mean, you know, when he was first brought over, it was just a DH. Yep. And he's worked him well into a serviceable first baseman defensively. He's their best with a good bat. I think. Yeah, yeah, he is. Um, you know, but like I said, it's it's as long as the center of the the field is elite defensively, then the Rays work out from there. And and they want good defense, but you got to have some bats too. Right. You know, if you're if you're going to play the best defensive lineup for the Rays every time, then Taylor Walls is your third baseman. True. Well, I'd rather have Yandy Diaz as bad at this point than Taylor Walls. Than the mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Brett Phillips is going to play more often in the outfield. And you're not going to play Arena as much. Yeah, I'm not going to play Kevin Kiermaier either. Well, <laughs> if you're going for pure defense, you will. But Yeah, well, defense you would, yeah. yeah. that's what I'm saying. But, I mean, if, if you're just going, you know, you have to balance that defense with the offense too because, like I said, Arena ain't going to start in the outfield if you're just going to play your best defensive team. Right, and the reason the reason why you can play uh, the reason why you have to do that is that you're gonna you're gonna have Kevin Kiermaier in the lineup, and maybe he's gonna hit two forty mm-hmm. or two twenty five. Who knows? Um, but you got to make it up somewhere, you know. So, like you said, up the middle, strong. Um, you can cheat a little bit on the corners, one one side or the other. Their catchers are are both pretty good defensively. Obviously, Zanino's better, but you don't want to you don't want to sacrifice catching because um, of all the pitchers they got to handle and such. So yeah, you can get by. I, 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 I'm fine with G-Man over there. And really, we've also seen guys improve the more they play. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, maybe Ramirez ends up being a, an okay first baseman. You know, maybe, maybe he shows down the road with more reps that he can play it as well as Choi. Yeah. Um, that the, would be good. The disappointment for Ramirez is they traded for him during a shortened spring training, so he didn't have a full spring training to work like Choi really improved in the next spring training after they had gotten them. That's true. That's true. You know, so it's harder in the season to work. I mean, they do work on it, but. But it's know. on the job, yeah. yeah. All right, we'll end with this, and Michael had tweeted, and we just talked about him. It would appear that Kevin Kiermeyer is not tradable. What should the Rays do with him? Continue to play him, reduce his playing time, or release him? Well, you're not going to release him, I don't think, because he can still help you. He's one of their top five outfielders um mm-hmm. you you do have brett phillips still you, you you have other guys you could you could if he were not on this baseball team do i think that they would lose the american league east no um he still brings a lot to you on def- defense he's also a clubhouse leader which i think and a lot of people look past and go well you know it's so what what matters you know um kk's been here a long time he says the right things after games i don't like the way he runs the bases and he's not swinging the bat very well um I think you just have to – you're stuck with him. I mean, I, in a good way. But, like, you know, you, you couldn't deal that contract. And you you have better options at times offensively. But as long as he's here, you you got to kind of play him. I mean, you got to play and hope that, you know – I mean, a year ago I thought he swung the bat really well. He hit close to 260. And, you know, uh, 
not running into as many home runs, which is fine, because if he starts trying to yoke the ball, then the average goes down. Um, but look, I mean, KK still brings a lot to the team. I'm, I'm not every everybody. And again, we're at the beginning of the season, so I, I heard some of the local radio. No offense, guys, but like, let's not get outraged that Kevin Kiermaier is on this baseball team, you know. And, and the people are like, get rid of him. Like, well, for what? Right. If now, if there's a guy in the minor leagues that's you know burning a hole in AAA and and is ready to come up and and light the major leagues on fire and he's holding a spot, holding his spot instead, then by all means, you know, let show me that guy. If it's Vidal Brujan, I mean, I don't know who we're talking about, but like right now, I think they could use Kevin Kiermaier. He can still do some things. You know, he's got to play better. He's got to start swinging the bat better. And they got to pick spots for him to play because they have other options in the outfield. They don't have to play him 160 games. Well, and I think you're seeing him play a little less this year. Yeah, absolutely. Find some better matchups for him. Certainly don't play him against left-handed pitching. You know, he may face face a guy once or twice a game if they bring in a, a reliever. I, I don't want to see him go, you know, in the eighth inning if you've got a, a winning run on second and a lefty's on the mound, you better pinch hit for him, you know. But – can he still help them? Yeah. I, I, trading him, I mean, if you could trade him, great. Is somebody taking his salary? If you could have done that, he wouldn't be on the team to start the year. I don't think anybody's trading for him now unless you're willing to pay most or all of that salary. So I think he's here. I mean, I, I, think, I think if they could have traded him, he would have been traded a year ago. And I know he's surprised and probably relieved that I think he thought this year this is it, you know, that I'm, I'm probably going to get dealt now. And he, and he wasn't. So – could it still happen? Sure. But right now, I mean, what do you think, Steve? I think they got to keep him. They just got to. Look, I, I think they've probably tried to trade him, but they're not mm-hmm. going to just give him away. So you're not going to release him and pay him. No. You're not going to trade him just to get him off your roster. He still adds value. I mean, defensively, he's still the best outfielder on your team, maybe Absolutely. the best in baseball. Yep. So there's still value to him. Yeah. And, and, and so the Rays aren't just going to give him up for nothing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously the Rays haven't gotten enough, assuming that they are shop, have shopped him. They haven't got an offer back that they feel is commiserate with his talent. So they'll continue to keep him. But, yeah, there's still value to him. But, yeah, do you want to see him up when you're down two runs in the ninth with a runner on batting? No. Do I want to see him in the field when you've got a one-run lead mm-hmm. in the eighth and ninth inning? Yes. Hell yeah. So, you know, I mean, there's there, there's spots and there's places for them. And, and, you know, they've got five outfielders now who are all plus defensively. Yeah. So you don't have to play Kevin as much so he doesn't get hurt as much. And you can kind of pick your spots with him in the lineup. Yeah. About 100, 100 games, 110 games or so. and mm-hmm. Maybe more know. when you add defensive replacements late. and Yeah. Yeah, you, I mean, he still has a role on this team, and I talked to him after the game a week ago Thursday, and and he still he still has the right messages, you know, like mm-hmm. he he gets it, his experience, his his years with the organization, what he can pass on to some of the younger players, all that stuff matters in a clubhouse. I mean, a clubhouse is a is a is a special thing, and um, you got to have the right balance there. It's kind of like a swimming pool. <laughs> there you go. As <laughs> I'm looking at mine right now, I better get the chemicals right. If you don't, it's going to turn green. And uh, we don't want the Rays to turn green. Uh, those are some good questions. You don't have to wait for a mailbag to send them to us. You can do that anytime on Twitter at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. Email address rstroud 
at TampaBay.com. What we got going on this weekend? The Rays uh, continuing their series against the Boston Red Sox. Well, they're starting it tonight. So start it tonight. Okay. Yep, start the series against the Red Sox. Lightning uh, host the Predators on Saturday night, and Ooh. then uh, in Florida Sunday night. So uh, that Florida game, man, <laughs> there yep. might be some bloodshed down there. Yep. And then Monday we're going to talk uh, NFL draft, kind of break down. We are. Um, who the Bucks may or may not take position-wise and such. So that'll be on Monday's podcast. We will just be four days away at that point from the NFL draft. How about that? And that's something we're, we're almost there. So, yeah, we'll break all of that down for you on Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody. For Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.